You are listening to the Crossing Anchor Podcast in Detroit, Michigan. So glad to have you with us today. If this encourages you or helps, please share the word and bless others as well. Let's start with today's content. So uh, this is the conclusion of the series of talks that we've had on relationships. And some of you have been here for all four of those. Uh, And if you have been, like, you're, like, going to get extra, extra special credit in heaven. Um, I've already, I've already prayed about it. I know that. But if you have missed a a message or two, you can always go onto YouTube. And um, we have those all archived. Last week's message uh, was especially great, I yeah. felt like, with Pastor CB. Mm-hmm. And if you missed that, I would go back and watch it as soon as you get home. It was so good. Um, but this series has been about relationships, and we've been talking about dating. We've been talking about sex. We've been talking about uh, singleness. And mm-hmm. we're finally getting to this, the message on marriage. So yeah. I'm really excited for that. And I actually see a couple that is newly married here in the room <laughs> We're tonight. Call them out. <laughs> and they got married last week. I got to officiate their wedding. Anu yeah. and Rachel, Woo! give it up for them. Let's go. Can we skip? What's that? Um, I feel weird if I stand. Okay. Uh, but sorry, Anu and Rachel, we're so excited for you guys. Yeah. And tonight's uh, message is basically going to be as if um, you and and I were sitting down together and we were all at yeah. our house. And um, we actually have done premarital counseling with lots of different couples. And we have a few that are kind of in the pipeline because they're getting married in the near future. And, and so we kind of want this to feel like you were over at our house yeah. and we were just talking about marriage. And uh, we were having that conversation. Um, if you were actually there, then we would get to hear more of your story and how sure. you met your spouse and, or your, your fiance and um, all those fun things. But tonight, it's going to be a little bit more um, from just one side of the equation. But yeah. um, I, I want us to talk about three different aspects of what it means to be married. And then we're going to look at the different roles, real briefly, of husband and wife. And maybe you're in the room tonight and you're like, well, I'm not married. I'm not even, there's not even a prospect out there, if I'm honest, at this point. Um, And I don't know when that's going to happen. Hey, that's fine. I think all of this stuff will hopefully encourage you in some way, shape, or form. And and the truth is, uh, most all of us will at some point, um, there's a very high likelihood that a lot of us will get married. Um, There's some of us that won't. Um, but a lot of us will. And so this is going to be something maybe to put into your back pocket for later um, when you find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Yeah. Um, so the book of Genesis we're going to go back to tonight, and then we're going to go to Ephesians. And Genesis is where it all began. We've gone there each week in this series because it's really the foundation of what it looks like to have a godly relationship. It was the first relationship ever when God created humanity, Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden and he put them there together. We're gonna look at verse 22 and 23 of chapter two. And it says this, the Lord God formed a woman from the rib that he had taken from the man. He brought her to the man and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be named woman because she was taken from man. So this is when God brings Eve to Adam. He, he brings uh, Eve, he forms her from the side of Adam, from his rib. Yeah. And I've heard this said, I thought it was so good. God did not take from man's foot 
so that woman would be under him, or from his head for him to rule over her. But he took woman from his side so that she could be a companion and they could do life side by side. That's good. I think that's the perfect picture of what a yeah. great relationship looks like. It's like if, if you want a position in how the, the people are facing each other, it's almost more of like a side by side walking mm-hmm. forward together. Like yeah. that's really kind of the picture of marriage. And so God instituted this at the beginning and it was initially a rescue operation for the man because it was the only time that God had said something wasn't good as he goes through creation. He made it through the entire list. He even got to cats and said, it is good. But yet he got to man and he said, it's not good. It's the first time, it's in chapter two. It's not good that man should be alone. It's the only time he says that. He makes the universe, the galaxies. Mm. He makes every part of earth, all of the water, the plants, the animals. And then he gets to, it's not good that man should be alone. Right. And then he says, I'm gonna make a helper suitable for him. Yeah. And that was the inception, that was the original beginning of the idea of bringing woman to man. Mm. Now, it's important that they are different. Mm. Woman and men, it's it, two different things, created both in the image of God, but, but bearing his image and his characteristics in yeah. different ways. And mm. each of them have a way of reflecting the glory of God that, that the other does not have. And so my wife has these aspects to her character and the way that she was created that are different than mine and that, that reflect a different side of God's character. In, in case you're like thinking the word help or helper is somehow derogatory mm-hmm. or inferior, don't make that mistake because God himself in the book of Psalms describes himself with that same word in Hebrew. When he says, I am a very present help in times of trouble. It's the same word. And so so you're not like some second class because you're a helper. In fact, you're you're bringing a different side of the beautiful character of God to the equation. And so men and women, they're they're different. And God set it up like that. And God brought this woman to this man as a rescue operation. Now, I can attest, being married now for six years, it was not good for Josh to be alone. (laughs) If you ever had come over to my house before Emily was involved, like you would have left thinking, what is that smell? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> and, and I'm just kidding. It's not like, you know, the only improvement that Emily has made to my life is like <laughs> improving our house or something. Like I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to joke. It's not good. It was not good for me to be alone in so many ways. And, and when God brought Emily into my life, when we got married, I remember, uh, it's hard to describe the feeling Exactly, but it was just like something got unlocked in my life that was not there before. It was like this, this new side of, of existence just got opened up to me that I had never seen or experienced before. And, and it was also this, this way that I felt like we were able to do more together than we were able to do apart. And um, I know like if you're a Bible person and you're like, well, doesn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 7 that he prefers that everyone be single? Well, Paul's whack. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, Paul, that's the Bible. Like he, but, but he says, he says like in the sense that being married can distract you because you're focused on earthly things, like, like having a person that you're doing life with. Now you're, you have to think of how I'm going to provide. You have to think of, of, you know, how do we make ends meet and how do we raise our kids? And there is a certain element that you're kind of like, 
getting pulled away from being able to 100% focus on the kingdom of God. But that's only if you're a single person who feels like you never wanna get married and your calling in life is to be single. Because if you're a single person who wants to get married, then some of your time is spent thinking about getting into a relationship, right? Yeah. And so Paul's saying, hey, if you have a calling on your life to be single, then that's preferable because you can just do the, like God's work and you never have to. But if you have a desire in your heart to be married, mm-hmm. that's actually a good thing. Yeah. And that, that's a God thing as well. So don't misunderstand that if you're like, well, I'm, I was reading 1 Corinthians 7 and I'm thinking maybe I should. He says, it's better to get married than to burn with passion. And if we're real honest, most of us are burning with passion, (laughs) right? We're like, ooh, I'm so hot, I'm burning with passion. (laughs) Now, some of us were like, I'm cool, I'm single, I'm good, I'm like, I'm fine. And and then maybe, I've heard people say that, and then they're like, you know, it's like CB said last week, two weeks later, pastor, you gotta meet this person. But, uh, it's good, it's a good thing to get into a godly relationship. And, and in my personal experience, it just enhanced the ability to enjoy life, to do ministry, to like, mm-hmm. it's like my old pastor used to say, it's like a sleepover constantly with your best friend. And, um, and it's so fun. And uh, I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So getting married is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanna also just pull out, because after this verse, verse 23, it says that for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, maybe you've heard this before, mm-hmm. hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Mm-hmm. Leave father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there's three things there that we're gonna just look at briefly. Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Now, it's, it's rhyming, so it's anointed, right? You know that when a pastor gets a rhyme or an alliteration or like it all spells, it's an acronym. When it's an acronym, you know God's on that thing. (laughs) Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. And Emily and I will go back and forth on this, but leaving is the first step. A man shall leave his father and mother. Leave. It's time to get out of the house. And some of the parents are saying, hallelujah, amen. It's time to spread your wings and fly. When, when you have a family, you're on this journey of life and it's like you're in this ship together. And when you have kids, they're in the ship with you going down the river of life. And then when they get married and they move on, it's like now they're starting their own ship that you're placing them on or helping them get into. And now they're on this journey of life in their ship. And and for some of us you know, who are parents, maybe you're, you have kids that are older and you're thinking about them leaving and that might be a little sad. Like, oh, I, I liked when we were all on the same ship. You know, it was, really, it was really cute and it was really pretty. And, and, and the, the, it's like mostly the dads. The dads are like, no, no, it's cool. They can go. Like, but the moms are like, oh, I missed that. And, but that's a good thing. That's how God set it up. Leave father and mother. So what that means, it doesn't mean don't have a relationship with father and mother. It doesn't mean don't honor father and mother. You're supposed to honor your father and mother for the rest of your life. But what it means is you're cutting the cords of dependence on mom and dad. You're leaving father, you're starting your own thing. What you would have looked to dad for in the past, you're looking to your husband for now. 
and, and the relational connection maybe that you had with, with your mom, which it's great and you should still have that, but it should never surpass or replace the relationship with your spouse. You're leaving father and mother and you're starting your own thing. And do you have anything you want to add about that? No, I think it's, it's important that that happens because that kind of leads to everything else that happens. You can't weave your life together with mom and dad. And that's not healthy. And so um, make sure that these things happen in a certain way, in a certain order. And sometimes you leave before you get married. So there's certain things that happen before you even are with your spouse. But these things need to happen in order to have healthy relationships because your relationship wasn't meant to be you and your mom and your dad and Jesus. It's you and your spouse and and Jesus. And so um, the leaving is important. Yeah. And the leaving, like Josh said, it's not that you never speak to them, that, that you dishonor them or anything like that, but I think it's easy if you don't leave, then you go to them when you're not agreeing with your spouse and you need someone to be on your side and to back you up. And that's not the healthy way to resolve conflict in your marriage. It has to be us. And you're not always gonna agree and it's good sometimes to bring other people in for conflict resolution, but your parents are never really going to be able to be unbiased. Mm -hmm. And so I know mine wouldn't. And so I just think like it's healthy to have those boundaries and the boundaries that you place before are going to help you all the way through when you have kids, when you, you know, make decisions that other parents aren't excited about. Like it, those boundaries are going to help all the way through. It's good. It's really good. So there's leaving and then there's cleaving. The two, shall, you shall hold fast to your wife. Like hold fast to her. Like just hold on to her as tightly as possible. So you're leaving, but you're replacing that leaving with a cleaving yeah. to your spouse. So now what you did look to mom and dad for, you're looking to your spouse for. Mm. And that doesn't just mean like financially, like that, that it means emotionally, that means, uh, you know, relationally. Like, you're looking to your spouse, you're cleaving, you're holding fast to each other, and you're not, again, depending on outside sources to, to supply what only this source should. Mm -hmm. And that, that means everything. That obviously means physically, like sexually, like you're not, like, opening up uh, things that are outside of your marriage. Like, that's just yeah. you and, and your spouse. Yeah. And I think that's really important because I actually was reading as we were getting ready to do this series and I never brought it up, probably just because I forgot. But um, I, I know of a couple like that has kind of started to just go down this path of uh, things that I would consider to be somewhat dangerous and, and unbiblical. And now what they're, they're doing, um, we, don't, we don't know them well, it's more like from a distance, mm -hmm. but now they're like um, starting to talk about how can we have a Christian version of pornography mm -hmm. and how can we incorporate that into our marriages mm -hmm. because it's going to spice up our relationship sexually and it's going to bring yeah. listen that's not God's plan that is that's going to destroy your relationship sexually yeah. and that that doesn't matter if if you're married or if it's before marriage right like you should be making plans right now if, if you haven't already put a line in the sand with that in your life like you need to cut that off now because if you think like, oh, I'm gonna get married and then I'm not gonna have right. an issue with pornography anymore, 
you're mistaken. Yeah. Like it's not because it's not this. It's not just a physical thing. Right. It, there, there's there's something about it that it's it's sinful, and so it's forbidden, and so the forbidden fruit just moves over time, you know. And pornography, like I'll just tell you, it's not going to help your relationship, and and it's not going to help your spouse feel like they're enough for you. Like they're going to constantly be like, well. And, and I know this is a little bit of a PG-13 talk. I hope that's okay. Like we're, we're in a relationship series. But, um, but like you need to depend on each other. And that includes emotionally. Like, I, like you, I would just highly discourage you from having a best friend of the opposite sex after you're married. Mm. Like that's just danger zone. Like I'm, I'm not gonna go out and hang out with somebody who's not my wife, like a girl. Like I'm not gonna hang out with them alone. Like right, yeah. that's just a, a boundary that we have in place. And, and it's to protect each other and it's to protect, you know, like to make sure that we don't fall into something that we regret. Uh, and so like look to your spouse to meet those needs and not to outside sources. Um, anything you want to add on that? Yeah, on the, the cleaving. Cleaving. Yeah, so I feel like something that I have thought through within, and you know, Josh and I have only been married six years, so there are other uh, relationships in our church that you could look to that are further down the line, and we're just kind of talking to you from what we know, from what we've walked through, um, and we still have a lot to learn, but something that I have kind of wrestled through, thought through, um, is this idea of like two becoming one, I think, um, there's a lot of emphasis put on that for a very like understandable reason. You want your lives to, you want to be about each other. You know, you want to prefer the other person over yourself. But I think it's important to remember that it is two becoming one and there's still an element that it is two. And so I think as you look uh, and you walk into marriage, it's good to remember like you are still you and you still have things that make you come alive, things that you love to do, ways that you need to grow, things that you can bring to your community. And so there's this interesting dynamic of, yes, we're one, we're one family unit, and at the same time, I, I am still me. I'm not, like, I'm not just, like, dumb to, like, who God has created me to be. And I think it's important to continue to self-develop within your marriage because your spouse is going to change and you're going to change. And the thing that is going to, and I, if you've been married for any length of time, like your, your spouse does change and, and maybe it's not always for the easy or for the better. Um, but there's this covenant that holds you together. There's this covenant, this commitment that is so strong and so important and I think it's just good to not lose who you are within that relationship. So continue to, to try to do the things that, that make you come alive, to, to have relationships like friendships outside of your marriage. And there's seasons for that. You know, as a mom, I think it's really hard to find times to continue to do things that you enjoy. But if you can, if you have people in your life that can help watch your kids so you can continue to do the things that, you know, make you excited about life. Like you don't want to, you don't have to lose who you are and what you love to be in a good, strong relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. 
And that, that goes right into the weaving part because it says you'll hold fast to your spouse and then um, the two shall become one. And that does refer to you guys coming together sexually, like the two becoming one. But there is also a way in which that's, it's deeper than just that. Because, and that's why we talked about the importance of, um, you know, honoring marriage and all those things. Because like when you, when you come together in sex, it's like there's a spiritual aspect to that as well. And there's a blending and a, and a weaving together. That's what God intended for it in marriage. And so like you start to, you, you quit becoming like just two individual people and you become this one unit. And what that means is not that you don't have your own passions, your own right. desires, your own hobbies, your own friends, your own things that you like to do. But what it, what it means is that you now are always thinking about the other person. Yeah. Like you're, you're always, what you do affects them, what they do affects you. You are one. You're not like, well, it doesn't matter what I do. Like you just do your own thing. Like that, does, that doesn't exist anymore. It's just us now. It's not you and him, it's us. And that's why like, you know, even on a practical level, like Emily and I, we share a bank account because it's not like, here's your money, here's my money. It's like, right. this is our money. And um, th- that's just one example of a way that it's, it's both of us together now. And, um, and so we're, we're merged together in, in every sense. Yeah. And it's impossible now to, to like, you can undo that. It's called, it's called divorce. And it's, it's a very, um, it's, it's a very painful process. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why God says, you know, don't pull apart what I've put together mm-hmm. because you are together. And so in that process of pulling apart, there's going to be a lot of pain that comes with that. And, I know several people, you know, even in our church and whatever that, that are divorced and, and there's a grace that God can yeah. give you through that season yeah. and, and redemption and all of that. Like, mm-hmm. so don't take that to mean that somehow you're, you know, God's done with you or like you've messed it all up. But, but I'm just saying like, that's why God says don't do that because it's so painful to see those two that have become one now to start that process of becoming two again. And, um, can I say one more thing? Yeah. I think another thing um, is that there are times and moments um, in your marriage, especially when it can get hard, that um, I think of Lot's wife when they're leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, and she turns and she looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt. And I think, like, um, there are times where it's easy to turn back to look at what was and to want what you had. And I think sometimes when marriage gets hard, you can look back and be like, well, <laughs> kind of wish I was single again. <laughs> like, and to kind of live in that place of like, or to even look to the side, to look at what other people have and to want that. But you have what's given to you and you need to look up and you need to take value from what God has put on on you, and so I think, like, um, if I can just—if you're not married yet, and and if you are married or if you're engaged, I think um, it's really great if you can have a vision for your marriage. Like, what do you want your marriage to be? Like, what are you working for? What are you working towards in your marriage? Like, what are the things? Write those things down. Talk about those things with your spouse. Like, what is your vision for your marriage? And I'll say even this. I believe you also should have a vision for your singleness. 
your, your singleness is powerful. It's really powerful. It's not wasted. It's not broken. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a full, whole life. Mm-hmm. I, I know we talk about singleness as a season, but I believe you can have a single life, and you should have a vision for your single life. Like, what do you want to accomplish in and through your singleness? Because there is a lot you can do. I've, I've heard it said that marriage shows you the depth of God's love because it's, it's you and one person and you're just really getting to know this person. But singleness can show you the breadth of God's love because you're able to be in community with a lot of people in a specific way that sometimes married people don't always get to have that freedom to have wide friendships. And so have a vision for your marriage. Have a vision for your engagement. Have a vision for your singleness. It's not something you just get through. This is your life. This is what God has given to you. And your season doesn't change till you change. So you have to have a vision for what you're in. That's really good. All right. So now we're going to wrap this up. And and this is, uh, you know, it's one message on marriage and we're trying to hit a lot of things. So um, I mentioned this before, but we did a relationship series a couple years back where we got to spend more time on these things. Um, this is all like fresh content. We've taken a fresh approach to this series. But if you want to go more in depth, uh, you can always check those out there up on YouTube. But we just want to briefly go now to Ephesians, where then Paul gives probably the most detailed description in the Bible of what the role is for a husband and for a wife. And we're going to kind of briefly breeze through this. So Ephesians chapter five, Um, if you have a Bible, you can pull it up, Ephesians chapter five, and it starts off, I think it's important to start in verse 24, because it gives an example, or it gives kind of the the context for what we're going to read after it. So Ephesians chapter five, verse 24, says this, now as the church, oh, I'm sorry, not 24, 21, it says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now I'm gonna let Emily talk about that. Um, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And then he goes on to say the verse that we just read from Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there's really two things in there for husbands and wives that you could sum up from the last verse. It's really love and respect. Love and respect. And I wanted to start in verse 21 because I think that helps frame it up that there's a submission to one another as followers of Jesus. And then inside of that, there is roles that God's called us to have. And Emily will talk about the role of the wife, 
But I think that if the husband is doing really his like role that God's called him to do, it makes the wife's role like so much easier. It says that we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. I think it's almost funny. It's like the wives just get like a couple of sentences and the husbands get like a whole paragraph. It's like God knows, dudes, you're much more dense than the ladies. And so I'm gonna like really explain this for you. And, and the husbands, they, they're like, their job is to be like Jesus. No big deal, right? It's like wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, be like Jesus. And I think that the whole idea here is that we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And how did he do that? He gave himself up for her. You see, if you're like demanding submission from your wife, then you have missed the point. Jesus leads the way with love. And out of his love comes this desire to follow him, right? Like you understand God's love for you, his way that he has sacrificially given up himself for you. And because of that, it invokes this response where you want to just go on the journey with him and do whatever he's doing. So if you're like, well, my wife should submit to me, I, you've missed something. Like your wife, if you're loving her like Jesus loved the church, it's almost a natural response that she would want to follow that. And so the husband is supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church. We have love so, such a cloudy, confused view of love in our culture. And we view love as more about what we can get and how somebody makes us feel and what's in it for us in the relationship. But that ultimately won't last because there's gonna come a point when your spouse or your significant other, they're gonna disappoint you. They're not gonna live up to every expectation you have. They're not gonna be like Jesus all the time. And there's gonna be a point when they fall short. You know, you're like, oh, I don't want somebody perfect. I just kind of want a dude who's a little bit like Tom Holland, and, but he's got like the spiritual status of like, like a Bishop T.D. Jakes. And, and he's just, you know, but he's just like, he doesn't have to be perfect. He just, but he just also needs to like really kind of be athletic like a Tom Brady. But just, I'm just looking for something like that. Well, listen, that person doesn't exist. Um, and, and when you try to find every fulfillment in your life from your spouse, at some point they're gonna disappoint you. They're gonna fall short. And so our job is to just decide that regardless of if another person is living up to their 100% for that day, we're gonna live up to our 100%. It's not 50-50. Whoever said what's meet in the middle, is that's the recipe for an unsuccessful marriage. It's 100-100. We're trying to outserve one another. We're trying to outlove one another. We're, 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 we're focused on giving and not getting. And that's how love is measured according to scripture. Jesus showed his love by giving up himself. And so our role is not in what we can get, husbands, but what we can give to sacrifice and to serve. And some of us were like, man, I, I, I die for, I die for my wife. I heard dudes, I would just die for her. Well, will you just like not play video games for her? What about that? How about just, how about just a small death in this? You know, like, well, I'd, I'd die for, I'd take a bullet for her. Well, will you like do the laundry for her? I'm speaking to myself here. Um, like it's, it's those 
sacrifices, those small sacrifices that are what make a marriage work and are fun and enjoyable. Um, so, so the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's our standard. It's in giving, not in getting. It's in sacrifice and service, not in self-satisfaction. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's good. I, I think that submission uh, comes easier when there is love and sacrifice that is, is already being given. But that's not always the reality of the relationships that we're in. There's going to be a lot of times where you're like, I'm not feeling that at all. And I think um, a couple of things. Submission is something that I'm kind of trying to figure out, like what, what does that look like? It's, it's a hard thing in our culture to kind of pinpoint because um, we have some strong women in our culture. And I think the idea of submission is just like, no. Like that's just not, not what I'm about. And I get that, I feel that sometimes. But like Josh said, there's, there's two things. Like, you submit to one another under Christ. You're both submitted to Christ. And you're submitting to one another. And so when your spouse is also accountable to God, listening to God, um, following after God, and it might not always f feel like that, or might, that not, might always be the reality, but you can... Submit with the confidence that God, like, has your back. And so I think, like, submission is not agreeing all the time. And it's easy to think that that's what submission is. Like, yes, I agree. I'm so excited about what you're, the direction that you're taking our family or, or the thing that I need to submit to. It's not always agreeing. And it's not always easy. It's actually very difficult. I mean, it's hard to lead a family, but it's also hard to be a follower sometimes because you are your own person. You do have your own thoughts and feelings, and you want to bring that to the table, and you want to have a voice. And so submission, it's not something that we throw in each other's face or lord over each other or say, well, I guess I'm just going to do this. But I do believe that it's, it's actually a gift, and, and God understands like, that roles are important. We, we have roles a little bit messed up in our culture right now. And Josh said this last week or the week before, I think, is like if we interpret, interpret the Bible through 2021, that's just not how it works. We have to interpret 2021 through the Bible. And so if we're called to submit to the Lord and submit to one another, that's what we have to work to do. Now, I think that there's something else in this passage that is important to understand because I think when we hear like wives submit to your husband, we're thinking women submit to men. This scripture says submit to your own husband. Yeah. Don't go submitting to someone else's husband. Like you are called to submit to Christ and to your own husband. This is this does not mean that you are submitting to any man that is in your life. And submission, trust me, you respect people, you honor people, but you don't need to submit to every person in your life. But you do need to submit to your husband, submit to Christ. Um, I think I had more thoughts on that, but I am spacing it right now. Yeah, no, that's really good. I think understanding the context, understanding the spheres in which they apply. Because, listen, like, we're all about, like, uh, you know, 
empowering women. Yeah. Like, I think that the Bible actually, uh, it actually was at the time that it was written the most liberating thing for women in a very oppressive, uh, misogynistic culture. And so the Bible actually like always elevates the role of women. It, it never, it never diminishes it. Um, and so, it, but there are certain roles that God's called us to function in and he knows that that's going to be the best way to function. But that doesn't mean like, I mean, goodness, like I'd vote for a woman president, you know, like I, like I'd vote for, like I would follow a woman in certain regards. This is like talking about the home Mm -hmm. and what the roles are in the home. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and like you're, you're, again, it's in a, in an ideal relationship, you're both submitted to Jesus and you're serving each other. And so like, the, the point at which you're like really severely disagreeing about an important issue is hopefully next to nothing. Like that's the ideal. Like you're on the same page. And in those rare instances where there is a serious disagreement and you're both seeking God and whatever, then you process that together and then eventually you make a decision, you know? But um, there's things that we're called to do as Christians that are, are sometimes countercultural. They don't make sense to the rest of the world. And um, that's okay because if, like, listen, doing marriage God's way is really the best way. And I saw, you know, there's statistics all the time about, oh, the divorce rate in the church is just as high as the divorce rate in the world. Yes, question mark. So like, when you put a few little filters on that, it changes things. There's studies that have shown Couples that are actively involved in their church have an active personal relationship with Jesus, do things like reading the Bible and praying. The divorce rate is like less than 20% in those couples. So if you're just saying, yeah, anybody who goes to church, the divorce rate's 50%. Well, sure. But if you have those, some things in place, like it's much less. So are you gonna listen to the world to tell you how your relationship should function? Or are you gonna listen to God? And I think that God's way is the best way. Yeah. The, the last thing that I want to say is I just feel like, um, you know, the Bible talks about Christians having, um, like, f- the evidence of their relationship with Jesus. They have, they bear fruit in their lives. Um, and I think that it's important to, as, you know, I was talking about having a vision for your marriage. I think it's also important. Your marriage should also be bearing fruit. Like, it, it should be a life-giving thing to the people around you. Like, your marriage can grow bad things, and your marriage can grow beautiful things. And I'm not talking just about kids, even though that's amazing and beautiful. But like, you know, there are bad things that grow in the dark. You know, Josh was talking about pornography. Like, what a, um, a, a killer that is. And your marriage can grow bad things, but like, is your marriage bearing fruit? Are there people in your life that, that are able to point to and be like, I, can tr- I could trust them, I would wanna ask them, like, like I respect their relationship, I respect what, I, what they see. Are there, are there people in your home, are there single people in your home that are just able to be with you? Like, are, there, are you active in your church together? Or like, are, just, there's, th- there's a lot of different things, but I just think like, your marriage isn't just a thing, like it's, it's a moving, growing, changing, and impactful thing. And if we're talking about things that impact our culture, 
if the church wants to impact our culture, it starts in the home. And so like, it's like, let your marriage be strong. Let your parenting be intentional. Let your time be devoted to God and to one another and to the people around you. Like, I know that this is just like kind of a, a random thing that just popped in my head, but like, we have our home open to our people in our church like as much as we possibly can. And it's actually a really big stretch for me. I like to just be home and just home. <laughs> and just like home. <laughs> but I, like we have found it is valuable and important that the door of our home is open to people so that they can come in and they can see us as we are, the good and the bad. And let me tell you, our church has seen the good and the bad. But they can come in and they can experience our children, how we do life together, sharing meals together. And I hope that that is evidence of a marriage that is bearing fruit because we care about people. And there are times when we say, hey, we just need to be a family. We're just home. Our door is not open. But um, for the most part, you know, it's open. And I think, like, just if you're married, are you bearing fruit? Can you actually see it? And if you're not married yet, what do you want that to look like? What are you going for with that? That's good. Well, that's, um, that's all that we've got tonight. I know that that's just like scratching the surface of a really uh, in-depth topic. And um, we would love like, you know, married couples, if you want to talk more or whatever, we'd love sometime to, to get together and um, go in more in-depth on marriage because um, it's like Emily said, it's so important. Like the world around us, really the authenticity of our faith is measured not by amazing church services or by, you know, social media posts, like really the authenticity that they're going to encounter our faith in the most is going to be in our home lives. Like that's like the, that's the test of if you're really following Jesus is what's happening in your home. And so, um, and that's also the biggest witness to the world is, hey, like, look, relationships can work and families can like glorify God and have fun doing it. And um, I just think that there's such an opportunity there. And so I hope that this encourages you. Um, I'm gonna ask my wife to close us out in prayer and, uh, and then we'll wrap it up for tonight. God, thank you so much for um, just the opportunity to, to sit with people that I love so dearly. And um, God, we ask for you to be present in our relationships, in our marriages, in our engagements, um, in our divorces, in our singleness, in our parenting. Um, Whatever the stage or the situation looks like, um, I'm just so grateful, God, that you are present and helping. Um, You don't call us to just enter into these marriages and then just figure it out, but you're so willing to walk with us and help us grow together and let our marriages and our relationships be impactful to the world around us. So God, I pray right now for people that are in marriages, for the couples that are in this room, in this church. God, I know that there's a whole um, scale or, or whole, I don't even totally know what the word is, but just there's a lot of different elements and situations that these marriages are in. And God, I just ask for, um, for miracles, um, miracles where there needs to be salvation, miracles where there needs to be forgiveness, 
miracles where there needs to be trust, miracles where there needs to be provision and communication and unity. Um, God, I ask that you would just do a really significant work in our marriages, that you would strengthen the marriages of cross and anchor, that they would be lights that go out, homes that are open to their communities, people that are so deeply impactful. God, we, we know that marriage is hard. Um, it's not easy. So may we not just live it out as if it doesn't have divine purpose and divine calling. So God, we ask um, again that you would just do miracles within the marriages within our church. And would you bring um, the single people that are in our church that desire marriage, God, I ask that you would continue to give them vision for their singleness, joy in their season, but also excitement that you are going to move in your perfect time and they can trust you, that you are a good and caring God. And so thank you for our time together. Just pray a special bless blessing over each person in this room that you would give everyone safety as they uh, go home. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Cross and Anchor podcast from Detroit, Michigan. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and share this with others. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. And let's live our lives on purpose.